Hey guys, welcome to the Dudes of Drinks podcast. Tonight we have our friend Sam back on to uh, do a little bit of review of our Pact of the Dragon Warlock subclass. And um, he's also going to help us uh, make some changes. Um, yeah, so before we do that, let's uh, let's talk about what we're drinking tonight. So uh, Brad, what do you got? So last week I had that Seven Moons red wine. Uh, and I drank a little bit too much of it. Um, but this week I decided I'm just going to finish off the bottle. So I, so I am in the process of doing that. Fair enough. Are you going to get wine drunk like again? <sighs> Probably. Good <Fair> man. <laughs> Sam, you drinking anything tonight? I am. Well, it's like the, the remnants of. It's the very bottom end of a, a can of 1911 blueberry cider. It's Ooh. a wonderfully sweet uh, sour cider that... God, ciders are so underrated. More people should drink good ciders. They're ciders, they're yeah, lovely. they are great. Um, I need to try. I need to find more ciders because I've, as of now, the only ciders I've really had are um, Woodchuck. Woodchuck's good. Uh, Angry Orchard oh, yeah. and is Reds even considered a cider? Listen, if if you're considering Angry Orchard a cider, then yes. Okay. Than reds I've I, had, but I look to see Angry Orchard and um, Reds more as sodas, but that's just my personal <laughs> taste. Um, I like yeah. to be a pretentious prick. So. Fair enough. No. Um. So, and then what I'm drinking? I had my fill this pack week, past week while I've been camping of the normal beers. So, I did have a Hershey's Yingling ready to drink tonight but i cracked open something else for dinner and i'm still drinking it so i'm having a steel reserve alloy series um from the steel brewing company sorry to read it and it is their spiked blue raz flavor um it does not taste like alcohol at all and is very dangerous in that aspect. Brad, you can attest to that. <laughs> True. It's the kind of thing that you could just put down, like, 30 of them and be like, oh, there's no alcohol in this, right? Oh. Yeah. Mm, uh, it's, it's, uh, you put down one, especially since I'm a little, little bit of a lightweight, because it's a, it's a 24 ounce at 8%. Oh, okay. So, um, you put one away, and it's like, oh, I'm feeling this. And then you put two away... And then it's at that point it starts to get fuzzy, and then by the start of the third one, that's where it's just incomprehensible. So I usually try to limit myself to one a night and then switch to other things. Um, It's a good, quick drunk in a way because, again, it's easy to drink, and then it can let you start drinking the, the shittier beer and save some money that way. So, <laughs> that's a great tactic. Yeah, you, you drink the really good stuff, but the stuff that has to be really good also has to get you drunk really fast. So that bad beer tastes better because you're tasting less of it. Oh yeah, that's perfect. Exactly, and same thing with like right. th- that. That's why you save your like really good liquors, like the, your whiskeys and stuff like that, and have that first, and then, then you transition to either the shittier whiskey or just beer or something like that. Tequila is one of those anomalies that like it tastes. Uh, in my opinion, it tastes good from the get-go. So that's something you can literally just drink all night because it's good and it's, for all intents and purposes, cheap. So in your opinion, 
earthworms fermenting in the bottom of a glass. That's delicious, huh? Oh, yeah. I fucking love tequila. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care where um, it comes from. I just care how it tastes. Fair enough. Um, no, in college, I had this mixed drink I would make. I forget if it was vodka or tequila. I'm pretty sure it was tequila, though. Um, honestly, it's interchangeable. And I mixed it with the Voltage Blue Mountain Dew. And uh, I think it was our friend Connor. It was either Connor or I coined the term Windex because it looked like Windex and because of the alcohol, it smelled like Windex. <laughs> but it tastes good. I was, about, I was about to be like, oh, how can you possibly let those two things be interchangeable? And then you said uh, like a violent blue Mountain Dew. And I was like, oh, yeah, never mind. That's, that tracks. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you put in that. <laughs> yep. Um, I'm pretty sure it was tequila, though. But, yeah, so I haven't had that in a while, and I might have to run to Walmart tomorrow and get some to uh, pregame before we go to the bar. But, pre-game uh, with Windex. Yes. You heard it here first, folks. Pregame from Windex. Put it right in the bottle. <laughs> oh, that's such a good idea. Just actually like empty and clean out a Windex bottle thoroughly and then actually put that in it and just chug it to assert dominance. Well, no, you just take it to the bar, and then you just spray it directly in your mouth. Win-win. Yeah, that's oh. I love um, it so much. <laughs> but uh, enough of that. So, uh, Sam, why don't you take, it us, take, take us away while you uh, tear apart our subclass? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. So, uh, on the Dudes and Drinks podcast, I believe, uh, there was a lovely homebrew uh, option that was designed all around an ancient dragon warlock. Um, I am a big proponent of homebrew. I think homebrew makes... A lot of tables come to life. It lets characters that otherwise would never get to see the light of day sort of blossom into beautiful, wonderful creations. Um, as then a big proponent of homebrew, I figured we could look at the subclass that was made um, as a learning opportunity um, and sort of go through what I consider to be some good fundamentals and good things to keep in mind whenever you're working on your own subclasses. Uh, and using these little ideas, we can we can sort of breeze right through and the option designed here and bounce around some ideas on how, how we would revise it, what we would do here. Um, so I figured I'll start. Um, gentlemen, I'm sorry. But uh, I, I rated the whole of the subclass. It did not get a particularly high grade. Uh, out of a 50, I gave it a 13. Fair enough. I'm, I'm curious how you scored that stuff. We don't have to go into it too, too much, but like... Sure. Well, he li- uh, entirely he... arbitrarily. <laughs> Sounds good. He, he did listen... Uh, not entirely arbitrarily. I'll get into it once I get into, like, sort of talking about the different elements of how to think about building a subclass. Um, the gist of it, though, I'll do a, a quick score by feature, because I think it's a good way to sort of see where things went right and where things went wrong. So, um, the expanded spell list uh, just functionally doesn't work, um, because... A lot of the spells um, that you're getting at specific levels aren't of the spell level that you would have access to at that time. So, for example, uh, I believe control wins. Um, pretty. Let me before I look like an idiot. I will admit, on that front, that is a mistake on my part um, oh. during the process of creating it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for whatever reason, those spells got mixed up. Yeah, I think you put them in the wrong category. Yeah, they should be in the correct one, but when we were doing it, for whatever reason, I was using D&D Beyond, which was my fault, and I mm. kind of did a few misclicks here and there, which caused that. I did notice that, and then 
never fixed it because I noticed it after we showed you the document and I was like, he's, yeah, (laughs) it's a little too late. It's a-okay. Listen, I I get... uh, There are a lot of... Despite the feature not working um, with how it it was written and presented to me, that's an entirely reasonable explanation as to why. Um, There are some decent elements. Um, Designing expanded spells is actually one of the hardest parts, and it's going to be something I largely ignore in this review. Um, But I thought, like, absorb elements, that makes sense. Um, We have the the, uh, Dragon's Brand feature, which I also did not rate particularly highly. That one only got a 3 out of 10. Um, that one I thought was slightly better in that the entire f- feature would work functionally, um, and it is somewhat contributing. Like, it, it it kind of works around the base fantasy of the option, um, which I'll get into fantasy in a little bit. We then had uh, Dragon's Breath, which was my highest rated feature. I gave that guy a 5 out of 10. Um, this is a feature that you get to do something cool. You make a, you become a dragonborn functionally. You shoot out a giant breath of your patron's ancestry's damage type. So if you're a green dragon, you spit a bunch of poison. If you're a red dragon, you spit a bunch of fire. Seems pretty sweet. Um, the level 10 feature I found abysmal. Um, it's dark vision for most people functionally. Um, and that comes down to some understandings of, at least my personal opinion of understandings of where powerful features lie. Um, dragon sight being a, you get... Uh, advantage on perception checks and blind sight to 30 that isn't really a feature that does anything for the vast majority of the table um, nor is it really a feature that is exciting to use nor is it a feature that really feels draconic that's I think an easy way to point point okay this feature probably may not belong in this option um, and then finally Dragon's Ascent um, I think that one was slightly redeemed with a 2 out of 10 um, just because fly speeds are typically a lot better than blind sight um, but otherwise um, it's a little bit fuzzy on how it works I just assumed that as opposed to using any bonus actions or whatnot as it's written. You just got a fly speed. Um, but seeing as, you know, Dungeons & Dragons edition has evolved a lot since it was released, and we have winged bird people called Aarakocra driving the internet nuts, um, we we can we can sort of talk about where and how we would want to address and enter in things like fly speeds and uh, how that can make a better class. Um, so all in all, what I think the subclass is doing well, I think that there are definitely ideas of Draconic here. I think the Draconic brand specifying different scales is neat. Um, I think that there's some amount of customization you get to pick in there. Um, I think the Dragon's Breath feels really iconic. Um, but I want to really more so go into what we can look to when designing subclasses that could maybe improve some of this. Fair enough. Um, um, quick question. How do you feel about the... Eldritch Blast type differentiation. Uh, I think that's one of the coolest parts of the subclass. Unfortunately, it's not powerful. Gotcha. So while it, it's neat, um, it fundamentally makes little difference because so all of the damage types um, that aren't Force or Psychic are worse than Force and Psychic. Um, so removing the Force damage from Eldritch Blast and making it deal fire damage makes it more thematically awesome, but does depower the feature. Um, and it's, it, to me, is what I consider oftentimes like a trap feature, a feature that you think is going to be really cool, and then you play around with it a lot, and nothing really cool is happening, and you're just reflaving your character and writing, which is something that I think features should include. Um, I think like that is great to tack on alongside a feature, but I don't think it is in and of itself like, a great feature alone. Does that kind of make sense? Yep. Nope. Fair enough. All right. Um, I would love... Uh, to then get into, really briefly, there's going to be a little bit of Sam monologuing, I'm sorry, but I will absolutely hop in and hear any of your input questions, whatever you got for me, love to hear it. Um, whenever you're outlining a subclass, whenever you're like, you're at square ground zero, I'm actually curious with you two. 
if you're you got nothing on the table but you had an idea let's say you want to make um i don't know you're, you just you're in the market for a new ranger subclass where do you start so just to give a little bit of background on what we did here uh this subclass was specifically created for a particular npc in the world that we're building without going into too much detail uh a noble of one of the nearby towns ventures into the mountains meets with a dragon who has a you know integrated backstory with uh some of her family members kind of makes friends with this dragon and ends up getting granted warlock powers from that dragon um under the assumption that she's going to go help the town but she's actually going to use it for a self-benefit okay we we're just like well what what class would she be and we couldn't come up with like a definitive answer uh, so we're just like, screw it. Let's just make like a warlock subclass that fits that, you know, perfectly. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly how I like to use Humber. I love that that reasoning for it. Um, yeah. And that, Brad, actually is an amazing jumping out point to what you should be doing first, which is uh, decide, defining your subclass's fantasy. You, uh, Brad, just talked about the lore of the fantasy. Uh, a character seeking out an ancient dragon, that dragon granting them power to an end. Right, so we now know and kind of understand what the general gist, the story of the subclass, if you will, looks like. Mm -hmm. Now, the next part attached to that fantasy is how, beyond the words, beyond you telling me what the backstory is, how can that character mechanically enact the fantasy? What what is it going to do? It's going to make it feel like a dragon's warlock. What's it going to do? That's going to make mm -hmm. it satisfy the desires and check all the boxes for being a draconic warlock, right? It, um, so I think you guys started in a great place with the lore, and I think the mechanics are a much harder bit to flesh out. Um, so you sure. have a great concept here that just needs a little bit more mechanically fine-tuning. Yeah, so in, in my mind, the thing that kind of bridges those two together is I'm able to kind of take the theme and then look at it from the perspective of, Whenever a player uses an ability from this subclass, how would they describe it? You know, what would that ability look like? Um, and one of the big things that we talked about was we want this person using these dragon powers to almost start to resemble a dragon. Um, so I can just kind of imagine, like, if they get wings through the subclass, well, those wings are going to look like dragon wings. Or whenever they do, like, a fear-based effect or something, well, I want them to kind of, like, their face to kind of take on, like, the visage of a dragon, you know? Like, I want this person to, like, look like a dragon whenever they use their abilities. And that's kind of how we, like, drove the, like, theme of some of these abilities. That makes sense. Um, I think that the theme of... Of, that's a great like jumping off point from if you like double to the monster manual for example you can look into see what the dragons do what their sort of iconic abilities are like they're um i don't think it's called inspiring presence oh lord like the presence yeah frightful presence the idea that you come into range of such a fearsome beast that you're literally afraid of them it's a relatively iconic dungeons and dragons ability now alongside the varying breath types um mm -hmm. so definitely attaching them to this seems like a no-brainer that seems like a really great on-ramp to developing features to sort of match type mechanic and uh, sort of use pre-existing ideas um, and fleshing them into player options. Yeah, love that. And uh, just real quick, a lot of that inspiration kind of came from the way that like spells are worded, uh, where they often start off by describing what it looks like and kind of like, uh, like, like whenever you cast fireball, it's like, like a bead of fire, you know, darts forward out of your hand uh, to a point, you know, 30, 30 feet within range or whatever. So it kind of starts off by describing what does it look like, and then it describes, like, what are the mechanics around how it actually works. So I guess I, taking it in that order, 
I, I feel like that sets up a really good, you know, like fantasy around it. Oh, absolutely. Mechan- mechanics need some work after that, but I, I think the fantasy is pretty defined. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like Tony, like you mentioned earlier, the Eldritch Blast doing um, the breath weapon type is genuinely really amazing. Like that, you can definitely feel the character firing rays of ice instead of rays of force. That feels really ice dragony, right? That feels very white. That feels very um, much like it's in theme with the character. Uh, you've definitely identified like that is something that looks thematically cool. Now we have to make it also feel gratifying whenever it occurs, right? That's where I'm the most worried personally yeah. about the subclass, but we, that's what we revise for. And like you said, like how the, now uh, we'll probably talk about this whenever we get to the actual uh, revising, but mm-hmm. um, I just want to bring it up right now before I forget about it. So, um, so what a way to rectify the issue of switching the type uh, being detrimental to damage because again it's not as good as force or psychic then would we just make it do more damage so i will i want to i'll clarify something real quick i don't think that i don't think that the damage switch is such a detriment that it shouldn't be in the option at all nor do i think you necessarily need to amend the damage to do more or less in specific circumstances i think that you can do the damage swap more or less freely you can kind of consider it a ribbon feature ribbon features are rather bountiful in 5e storm sorcerer for example gets uh gets one where you can kind of control wind direction um and you can you can do a lot of fluffy sort of world interactive stuff i think in terms of changing damage type that's more or less, like, from a game balance perspective, you're going to find that it's more or less what's happening. You will be, it, depending on the campaign, you're going to be substantially worse if you're going to Nine Hells and pick Fire. You're going to be substantially worse if you go to the Sea of Moving Ice and pick Ice. Alternatively, if you go to the Sea of Moving Ice and pick Fire, there might be some things with Fire Vulnerability, right? At the end of the day, though, from a homebrew perspective, unless you know you're going into a specific circumstance, tam- changing things like damage type... It isn't something that you really, I think, should attach a lot of weight to. Uh, Everything, all options sort of have a power budget, how powerful they're allowed to be, and I would consider this swapping of damage type to be a net zero in power budget. I'm actually thinking it would be... Okay, so, yes, swapping the damage, I would say, is probably a little bit of, like, a debuff for the most part. Uh, I mean, it is optional, so I guess it's not super impactful. Uh, But it does kind of give you, like, some additional stuff, like, uh, like natural armor and whatnot, so... Oh, yeah, the rest, the rest of Dragon's Brand definitely has powerful yeah. things in it. Like, there are, there is genuine power coming in the feature. But specifically, like, features are also groupings of features, right? So Dragon's mm-hmm. Brand is an AC buff. It is a change in damage type, type, uh, type to Eldritch Blast. Um, and it is the selecting of a patron, which will influence things down the line. Selecting of a, mm-hmm. a color, right? Um, all of those little mini features have their own little power budget that comes into the grand scheme of the subclass, comes into the grand scheme of the bi-level power. Lots and lots of stuff comes in there. Uh, scooting right along then. Yeah, I don't want to get too caught up on specific abilities just yet. Yes, same. Uh, we'll have a lovely time in the revision to do that. Um, the second thing that we can go over very briefly um, is the next thing you want to quickly identify in lockdown is what is the typical structure of a subclass so for the warlock you guys nailed it explain it spell list um first level features when you get your patron and then 6 10 14 all those get um features um you can kind of read into a little bit more if you examine other existing subclasses so you can see like oftentimes warlock will get defensive passive features at level 10 i'm of the opinion that a lot of those design decisions were made out of laziness and not necessarily i shouldn't i shouldn't necessarily say that they were made 
not as interesting as they could be, and I mm -hmm. think that they were made cautiously. And mm -hmm. I would argue you should try to push for more exciting features that may break the boundary of what the features around them, comparable features at like 10th level, comparable features at 6th level. You, I would argue you should be a little, feel a little bit more free to put cool things in there that you want the subclass to do. Um, Druids really suffer with that. Uh, most of their subclasses are pretty shitty just because most of their abilities are pretty boring with the exception of like one. And that means that like... <laughs> They're in a rough spot with druids because they're already full casters. They already are like capable melee fighters. Making a subclass do too much would just be a lot. But yeah, druid subclasses are super boring. They're also really, really hard to design. So druids like they can do so, so much. much. You know, you, it's, it's super easy to get them at whack. Oh yeah, and uh, Sam Strange. Quick side tangent. Uh, druids are also, in my personal opinion, one of the worst design classes in the game. <laughs> but Brad will fight me on that for a long while. <laughs> uh, I'm about to get triggered. Brad and his Druid Death Squads. Yep. Oh, the, the whole other, we'll, we'll take that up some other time. Yeah, that's that's a whole that's a whole other podcast. Um, but yeah, um, and the last thing I really want to mention mention in structure that's kind of important, um, and this is kind of outside of when you get things, but it's what's the class's typical action economy, what's their typical play pattern. So mm -hmm. fighters, for example, are going to be taking the attack action very often. Um, rogues are going to be looking to proc sneak attack and already have a really hefty use in their cunning action as a bonus action. So giving them things to do um, can either compete with cunning action or it can often be like understanding that they're going to be setting up being hidden anyway may lead you to make different design constraint decisions. Knowing that like, all right, this character always has access to stealth. This character always wants to be dashing. This character wants to always be attacking. Uh, and you kind of want to make features that fit within that scope that expand out on what those typical play patterns can do. Therein lies the problem with druids because what, what is their resource? Well, it's basically everything. So, but, yep. another, another but you can topic. only use half of the resources at any given time. Yeah. Uh, in any case, uh, that's basically, that's how you should, I think, approach starting to design a subclass. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that, having a groundwork of what is my core fantasy here that we're looking to accomplish? So what are the lore and the mechanics? Um, and then what is the structure I'm kind of working within? And once you have a sort of understanding of that scope, even if you don't necessarily have it tied down to be like, well, I want this subclass to be all about temporary hit points, or I want this subclass to be paladins get a new bonus action. Um, once you have an idea of your, your core lore, your core fantasy, your core structure, then you can sort of begin to just write, brainstorm, and all that fun stuff. This is the mm -hmm. most fun part of designing subclasses. It's the, you begin spitballing with your buddies uh, about, oh, wouldn't that be so sweet if this, if the dragon warlock could literally become a dragon for, you know, a full minute and fly around doing cool dragon shit, right? Mm -hmm. um, what if all of their breaths did different status effects and they could, what if they can breath every round, right? Um, you start getting into some fun brainstormy ideas that are trying to exemplify the fantasy you're looking for. Mm -hmm. um, which we're going to hop that into design basics. And while you're brainstorming, what should you kind of be thinking about? Um, and I think we're going to, I'm going to do a couple quick comparisons in the example that we've gotten already. For a lot of it's going to be compared against Dragon's Brand and Dragon's Breath against the other features, because I think those are the two strongest is Brand and Breath. So um, when we're looking at marrying fantasy and mechanics as the core starting point, you have to sell that out the gate with the subclass. If you have a subclass that promises you're going to be a cool dragon and you don't dig to do cool dragon things when you take the subclass, that's going to be kind of upsetting. I, I don't want to play a subclass that doesn't let me do the cool thing that it's promising me I'm allowed to do, you know. Um, I think a good example of this um, 
is the Animal Companion Ranger in that it kind of promises you have a partner alongside you so you get to do your cool ranger things and have a cool pet. And in reality, you end up getting to pick only one of those two things and not do either very well. Um, so it, it promises a fantasy that it really can't deliver on. So in this particular instance, Dragon's Brand is really selling the fantasy. Dragon's Brand is saying, look at these cool Eldritch Blasts. Um, this is me doing draconic things. It really... It is incorporating the fantasy mechanically. It is saying, I am a fire-breathing dragon's patron, or um, warlock. I will fire rays of flame instead of Eldritch Blasts. Whereas Dragon's Sight is, I have blind sight. Okay, yeah, I, I think I see where your confliction's coming from. It doesn't really marry the fantasy and mechanics in my mind all that much. It doesn't seem very exciting. It doesn't seem particularly engaged with. You feel mm -hmm. me? Yep. yep. Um... The next, and I think this is, this is definitely one of the, the most contentious, um, design principles, is features have to be exciting. Sure. I want to want to use my features, and that often means they need to be both powerful and situational. Um, so, in this particular subclass, the first thing I kind of noted was there isn't anything really new coming to the table. I could be a dragonborn and do the bulk of what this subclass is doing. Mm -hmm. um, and while that isn't necessarily, like, you're allowed to have overlap, I would re always recommend trying to, trying to get something iconically individual about uh, a subclass to make it shine. If you look at, uh, Brad, I believe one of your favorites is the, the Wildfire Druids and their fire companion, right? There's a really iconic ability there, right? The wildfire yeah. spirit is very present. Um, there are lots of subclasses like that. Assassinate is a very iconic feature, as polarizing as it is. Um, Divine Smite's a very iconic feature, for example. Mm -hmm. But in any case, we're looking to make, especially with Warlock subclasses, because they're happening at level one, um, we really want them to lock in an identifying, exciting feature um, that's fun to use and looks cool and exemplifies the fantasy, right? Um, this plays into an interesting dynamic between feature design, and it's called passive and active features. Um, I consider passive features to be features that you get that don't do anything, but in instead make things that happen to you worse or better in specific circumstances. So resistance to damage types, AC, um, flat bonuses and modifiers to skill rolls, I consider often to be passive features. Um, College of Eloquence Bard, I think, is the one that gets the you can't roll lower than a 10, right, on mm. on uh, charisma checks. These kinds of passive features often seem appealing. Bear Totem Barbarian, for example. Everyone loves resistance to all damage. Am I right? Like, who doesn't want that? Dude, that, that's the only totem path that anybody ever chooses, which is a damn shame, because there's some other really cool ones. Wolf is sweet! Mm -hmm. Wolf is so cool! And Wolf has an active feature. Um, but... I would always encourage attempt to design active features to be more exciting than passive features. So if we look to the examples once again, Dragon's Breath is an active feature. You choose to exemplify and have a moment of epicness. You breathe out your your breath weapon, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas Dragon's Flight, I just now have a fly speed. I mean, yes, you are a, flying around as a dragon. And yes, that's pretty cool. It doesn't give you a whole lot of agency. It doesn't give you a whole lot of, this is my moment to do my cool thing. This is my kit coming together to sort of really exemplify what I'm about. Mm -hmm. Kind of move me there? Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> we definitely designed this subclass based off of some of like the baseline PHB classes. 
which at this point of 5e are definitely underpowered for the most part, uh, specifically in Warlock. Um, so another thing, I, I guess I might play the game differently than a lot of people. I am a huge sucker for just like passive upgrades. But that might not necessarily always be for the best, you know? So maybe I designed a class that I might want to play rather than what is like a good subclass, you know? So I think there, you're, not, you're definitely not alone. Lots of people, like there's a reason so many people play Baritone and Barbarian, right? It, mm -hmm. It's having powerful things is fun. And passive features often get to be very powerful right flat resistance means no matter what you're always going to reduce damage flat bonuses mm -hmm. means no matter what you're always going to add a bonus your entire character gets better collectively and cohesively it's often strategically one of the better things you can do right ability score improvements over feats there is a really good argument for it because ability score improvements are going to make all of the things you do better as opposed to just you are narrowly better in some instances mm -hmm. so it isn't, you're, there's not anything wrong with liking passive features, not anything um, necessarily that is is unintuitive about, well, why wouldn't I want the thing that makes me more powerful? I am of the opinion passive features tend to lead to repetitive gameplay in long-term games. So if we look at people that get uh, want to switch classes, I often see those people being barbarians. I often see those people being moon druids. I often see those people being um, subclasses that are powerful because they get lots of passive bonuses that make them difficult to deal with um and they don't feel like they feel like they're doing the same thing over and over again they feel like they're they don't to make any interesting decision making um and while their character is awesome their character is powerful i would always argue that we should try to design for as broad a spectrum as possible so we want to have passives in there things that bring up the base level of character like adjusting the eldritch flash damage type for example without it necessarily being that's exclusively where the features are at Mm -hmm. I don't know if I was necessarily addressing the point, but that's just my my yeah, two cents as to yeah. passive effects. Uh, and the final, like, really big thing um, to focus on when you're looking at subclass design um, is there's two kinds of schools of thought I've found in how to build a subclass and what the subclass is going to do. And there's our build-around-me subclasses and toolbox subclasses. A build-around-me subclass all is about... You take a feature and you make that feature fucking amazing. You just juice it up with as many cool different flexible things as you can until you are really good at doing one thing incredibly well. That's the build around me aspect. Assassinate yep. Rogue, iconic for this, right? Assassinate basically is the whole of the subclass of the most of the time because it's just so overloaded. I'm going to get the sneak attack. I'm going to take three levels in Paladin and five levels in Warlock and junk all of my damage into a super crit, right? Um... That is a build around me. Whereas toolboxes, these are often warlock subclasses. These are often, um, to some degree, I would say, like, War Domain is a fairly toolboxy subclass in that its goal is to open up as many avenues as possible to interacting with the world. Its goal is to give you a set of tools unique to the fantasy to sort of explore out into other things. I think that this Dragon Patriot, actually, which which would you two, which, do you two think this is more toolboxy or do you think this is more uh, build around me? Okay, so warlocks without any subclass are very toolboxy in my opinion. Absolutely. Because, specifically because of the invocations. Um, this subclass, I would also say, is pretty toolboxy because um, there's no specific abilities that I think you'd be like, I'm going to choose this subclass specifically for this ability. Um, 
you're probably just taking the subclass because you think it fits with your character the best. And what most people do anyway. That's what I do, which is kind of why I would build a subclass this way, because that's how I select my subclass, you know? Uh, Phantom Rogue is my favorite example of that. Um, I, I literally was just looking through subclasses for a character until I saw one that I thought would look cool, Phantom Rogue, and then I built a character that would end up being a Phantom Rogue so I could use that class, you know? So same situation here. I would look through the subclasses, find this one, build a character that would end up being a Dragon Warlock. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess in my mind, this... In, I think that's how most of the Warlock subclasses are. Um, you probably don't choose your patron based on their abilities. You probably choose your patron based off of your character's backstory on who their patron would be. So I think it's okay as a Warlock for the most part. Oh, I, no, I don't think there's don't anything inherently wrong with either design. But I do think there are some that are more built around me. Specifically, like, even in Warlock, I think Fiend is a more built around me. The temporary hit points. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, Hexblade absolutely is. That's 100% built around. It's yep. literally the pact of the blade of the subclass. But um, even like Fiend Warlocks, the temporary hit points you get encourage a very specific playstyle. They really mm -hmm. want you to be in combat killing things so you can use the temporary hit points you're getting and then get more of them. Um, and that cascades with Hurl Through Hell that makes you a really in-the-thick-of-its skirmisher kind of warlock. And I think that's an example of a, a build-around-me warlock. Sure. And there isn't... Um, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with either. I think both can make fun subclasses. Um, but I do think um, it's often good to identify what what you want to see in the subclass. So Brad, obviously you want to see, do you want to see the subclass really in, in, in hip or do something specifically draconic? Is there like something identifiably Tony that you would put to, this is what I want to think this subclass should be doing. Or do you really just think, let's just give it a bunch of dragon features. Um, me personally at 20th level, I would just want this subclass to be almost as dragon like as possible. Um, I want it to almost look like a dragon. I want its powers to be similar to a dragon. Um, like, I just want your character to be one step away from a dragon, you know? Uh, yeah, I guess that's where I would take it from. As compared to maybe a draconic sorcerer, who maybe just kind of has, like, the power of a dragon, as compared to, like, being closer to a physical manifestation of a dragon. Fair. Yeah. Johnny, do you have any strong feelings? I'd have to agree with Brad that it really does come down to the them almost the thematics of it in that like level 20 like he said it should be one step away from a drag i'm just repeating brad at this point but like i that's that's kind of what we went into this thinking of because we were just thinking if a dragon was to bestow powers onto someone what would they bestow and how would they manifest and that's kind of what structured everything and made it out sorry made it how it was and so my biggest thing is that like you said this doesn't really have a huge selling point that differentiates this from the dragonborns and so i think that's the one thing that it's missing but i'm not sure what we can add to fulfill that sure if that makes sense so yeah i think both of you exemplifying you think that, like, this option end goal is to be as draconic as possible. I would say a way you could achieve that goal is by really embodying 
a few very niche elements of the dragon, namely the breath weapon. And I think that you could build a really cool build around option around your breath weapon used in a bunch of different ways as a standard action. I think you could absolutely build the I am the super dragon releasing the gigantic torrent of flames. Um, included with some some other components of what makes a dragon a dragon. Flying is an obvious one. Uh, I think wealth and treasure is another one that jumps to my mind. I think yeah, you can build that added... as... An... Yeah, the, the wealth and treasure is why we added a Lehman's uh, secret chest, I think it was what it was. Yep. Um, but the another way, because it just kind of... I realized how I wanted to articulate it. Another way that you can put that I want this subclass to be is... What class would a dragon be if they took the form of a human and had to do combat? It'd be a lot of different classes. Depends on the dragon, man. I, I mean, I guess true, I'm... but like to the as and if they were a warlock, then I guess like how would they mm -hmm. best exemplify their own self through their combat, sure. through their powers in human, mm -hmm. not human, but in their disguised form. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it's another way to view my personal end goal of what this class should be. There. Do you, oh, the two of you, do you think you would rather do revisions that are this class becomes more iconic in the dragon fighting style? If you are flying around breathing flames on people, is that more of where you would like to go? Or would you like to do more of a you embody the dragon in every way? You have a suite of features that sort of coalesce around draconic stuff. Horde Sense is an easy one. Like, you could detect treasure, maybe. Maybe you have features designed around, yes, you have a breath weapon, but you also can knock people back. You have flexible features to allow you to do things dragons can flexibly do. It's hard to do everything, right? It's hard to have, have your cake and eat it, too. So, of those two choices, if you wanted to have the super flexible, every little thing a dragon can do, I can do, or the I am the embodiment of an iconic dragon's moment, which do you think would be more uh, epic to you? probably the everything a dragon do, can do i can do type of thing like what you said like the horde sense and like because the more i play D, &D the less it becomes about combat and the things you do in combat and it more becomes about the things that you can do outside of combat and how that can be personified and role play Air? and i feel like being the very embodiment of a dragon every essence not just in combat I think would be the best way to make use of this class, which is in slight issue because unless we do it correctly, it won't have an appeal over any of the other classes except for flavor. Yeah, yeah I generally agree with that. Um, I'm actually very interested in exploring like the outside of combat type dragon stuff um, rather than like in combat dragon breath. Cause like, you know, there's other dragon subclasses uh, and I feel like they almost always default to, Breath weapon, because that is like the iconic dragon thing. Uh, so I wouldn't mind moving away from that a little bit um, if we could get a little bit more like thematic perfection, I guess, you know? Okay. That sounds good to me. So let's brainstorm a level one feature then. I think right. that what we got here is pretty interesting with a little bit. Mm. I, I think the damage type is the most standout, flavorful thing to me. I think that's a great keep that I would add here. I personally yeah. would probably 
add that in as a footnote, I would probably have like a, a note or like a variant um, elemental Eldritch Blasts where optionally, instead of your Eldritch Blasts dealing force damage, you may have it deal your patron's damage. Um, mm -hmm. Even like just completely remove it from the feature. I think it's fine in the feature as well. Alternatively, though, um, I don't think the AC is all that interesting, nor do I think it's that powerful. So what could we be doing then as a toolbox option, as something that lets you interface with the world that's very draconic in nature? Where do we want to start? Do we want to start with Horde Sense detecting treasures? Do we want to start with Flight? Do we want to start with... Um, where, where do we want to necessarily break down as when you become Dragon Warlock, you can be doing dragon things immediately? At level one... Uh, yep. I think Horde Sense would be a really good one. And then maybe either moving the AC to a different level and increasing its um, bonus it gives you. Or maybe even going down the route of... Actually, no, that'd be a terrible idea. I'm just going to say it anyway, but I'm probably not the best idea. But just doing... Um, giving them some of the resistances that a dragon has because of its scales, such as, like I think... What resistance do dragons have? Let me pull it real quick. Uh, typically, it's immunity. Oh, the bigger ones, it's immunity to their color. Yeah. Um, and I imagine the opposings in some instances. I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea. I just thinking, so, hold on. That's all passive stuff again. You know, that's kind of what we were talking about earlier. Um, is there any, like, active-type features that we might be able to look at? Um, so I, I, I'm not actually super sure what you mean by horde sense. What, what does that mean? What I'm thinking of is you can... Like Divine Sense, you can detect quantities of wealth around you. So mm -hmm. maybe just as a bonus action, you sniff the air and can count the amount of gold value within 30 feet of you, right? It's kind of gimmicky, and it's very much um, a, a ribbon feature, but I think it feels dragony to, like, want to hoard wealth, and I feel like a war dragon would want their warlock to be able to deliver huge amounts of gold, right? What's more iconic than Smog and his giant yeah. his giant horde, right? So, so kind of like uh, being able to cast, being able to tell how magical an item is just by sniffing and being able to uh, discern its cost type of thing. Ooh. Sure, yeah. Okay, so a common play pattern that we always run into, I'm pretty sure every party runs into this. Um, they walk into like a room or something, and they're like, can I roll an arcana check to see if something's magical? Is, is this cup of water magical? And that's something that's always happens. As a DM, you're always, like, pressured into being like, yeah, sure, it, it feels magical. But you can't do that. What if this class could? Like. Yes, but we don't necessarily have to do an exact copy of Detect Magic. Uh, we also talked a little bit before about, um, like, specifically, like, treasure, which isn't always magical. Um, perhaps it was like a divine sense, but instead of finding, you know, undead or whatever, it was, you can like specify like a GP amount in your head and it will find, you know, all objects within, you know, 30 feet of you that are at or above that GP value. So it's like, like a hundred gold pieces and it'll be like, oh, that painting is worth more than a hundred gold. Oh, uh, that gemstone's worth more than a hundred gold. You know, what if I, what if we kind adore of that idea, combine the two. So like you, um, Whenever you do it, like you said, as a bonus action, you can sense any discernible amount of wealth near you. And then you can throw on to kind of go down the detect magic route that you're talking about. That if that wealth is because of a magical enchantment of some sort, you can discern the type of magic that is associated with it. Type of thing. We, can, we could probably tag on Divine Sense to that. 
or do uh detecting magic to that that doesn't seem like a problem to me cool now my question to you both is do you, does this feel powerful like do you think that we could only give them this and a, a player to be like yeah that seems like something i would take i don't think it's enough for the first level but that combined with something else is i think good uh, specifically like the changing the damage type of an eldritch blast and something to even tack on to that is we talked about how pretty much every damage type is worse than force and psychic um, and if you want to switch to a different damage type, that's fine, but you're probably never actually going to use that. Um, unless there's like a specific vulnerability or damage type, odds are you're just going to stick with force. So perhaps we could maybe add something to encourage you to use your specific damage type more. Uh, perhaps maybe it ignores resistance, you know? What if, um, so, so what if, um, the way that you can do that is if your type so if your damage or your if the breath weapon of your specific type is a cone, then your Eldritch Blast does splash splash damage in the surrounding five square in the like the within a um the surrounding tiles. I can't think of the actual number of terminology. And if it's if the breath is normally a line, um say from the direction you shoot it from the Eldritch Blast passes through the enemy an additional two tiles to hit anything behind it. I think, again, that that's a phenomenal idea. Um, I would, to both of the comments about improving Eldritch Blast, one of the core tenets of Warlock in my mind, and every time I've played them i found this to be the case, is the class is at its heart versatile and not dependent on Eldritch Blast. Yeah. So I do like to try and make subclasses not dependent on it. So what I would instead say we should do with those ideas is make them invocations. I think an invocation at second level that is a prerequisite pact of the Ancient Dragon Warlock that lets you do that with your Eldritch Blast could be a really cool way to specialize um, the way we talked about earlier without necessarily having to commit to I'm going to be the Eldritch Blaster full caster um, throwing out cones and lines of like my patron would. Okay, I like that. So you so just tack on the um, the uh, change in damage type regardless at first level and then do the ignore resistances or splash slash piercing da not piercing damage but this the you know what I mean um, and add those two things as invocations. Okay, cool. No, I like that. So then, so then what, what is, is the first, first level? Or, yeah, yeah, first level ability, ability look like then? then? Currently, it's just Horde Sense. Just, just Horde sense? sense? Yep. That's not enough. Yeah. yeah. What other iconic things do dragons do? Do we want to add wing beats? Do we want to give them the ability to make gigantic leaps? If you want this to be out of combat, we should try to make features that are usable in both situations. So often, mobility is something that works in both in and out of combat very well, I found. That's or... an option. Mobility would be cool because I'm just looking at some of the other subclasses, uh, and a lot of them seem to be like pretty hefty combat type abilities, uh, with very few exceptions. We can make use of the frightful presence early on and give the players like either early on proficiency or just straight up advantage on intimidation checks. That's a passive ability again. Also, that yes, that's true. That's that passive ability. Um, another quick tip that I'll give out, um, I would avoid changes. like the plague giving advantage to any's features Fair. because the game's already <laughs> so full of ways to do that. It's going to devalue your teammates abilities to assist you. So I, whenever you're looking to give bonuses in subclasses, I'm always a proponent to make them as creative and unique and new as possible. Um, without necessarily being like you get a plus 30 because that's different. 
So yeah, not 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 proficiency or advantage then. Um, I do want to make use of frightful presence somewhere along the line, but since it's another passive, maybe not level one. So we're looking. We can make it an active. So the level one ability for the Archfey Warlock subclass is essentially just kind of like a fear ability. Uh, so I don't want it to be too similar to that. I, d I think it's okay to have a little bit of overlap like that, though, sometimes. Yeah, but it'd have to, it'd have to do it a little bit differently then. Sure, uh, absolutely. Is it Archfey, is it active or is it passive? It's, it's an, an active ability. ability. No, they active. get to pick an, I believe it's a cube in front of them. I can yep. look yep. it up exactly so I don't misquote. Um, it is a cube. But um, the gist of it is a group of creatures in front of you make a wisdom saving throw and on a failed save they become uh, feared. Okay. Or yes. Or, or charmed your choice, which is a neat distinction. So maybe... We can make it a larger area AoE. Indiscriminate fear could be a thing we could do uh, if we wanted to be like a draconic roar. Um, again, we also we can save fearsome presence for later and consider doing something later down the line with it. Okay, so... I'm just I'm I'm gonna throw this idea out here. It might need some refinement. Um, what if you were able to kind of do like a like a divine smite type thing? Where okay, so fuck, it's gonna be dependent on Eldritch Blast again. Or maybe maybe we could just reduce it to melee or spell attack. Uh, whenever you make a melee or spell attack and hit, uh, you can maybe once per short rest make them do like a fear or something. Whether it's a guaranteed fear or it's you know like another save or something. On it's are always interesting ideas. Um, I think that that is starting to lose the fantasy a little bit in that on hit fearing. Um, I guess, yeah, you hit them. It makes sense. They would be scared of you. Um, that doesn't really embody the presence. That doesn't really embody the, the roar. That doesn't really embody to me what a dragon feels like. Not necessarily a bad idea. Just where I would, where I would throw hesitation out to that idea, but I'll write down. Hmm. Okay, okay. So, so how, how would a player character, fear his enemies without any sort of magical assistance. Like, how might a fighter do that? Uh, uh, an intimidating shout would be my best guess. An intimidating shout. Yeah, like a roar or something. Their allies in front of them. Mm -hmm. um, so I was thinking just like like a massive feat of power or something like that. Like, like oh, there's a couple goblins in front of you. You know, the fighter just slashes his sword, cuts one in half, and then freaks out the other goblins, you know? Sure. And I guess that's kind of what I was thinking of whenever I meant like the on-hit. It's like you hit really hard and you just kind of like have that like massive intimidation intimidative presence. I would love for uh, this what if, scares people. I would love for this feature. What to if be... we attached that to the elemental damage type? So to do this our our spell list is gonna to need to be very specific. Um to the point where our expanded spell list probably should be unique to each dragon option. Um, mm -hmm. so that it can allot for the feature to work. But um my my envisionment then is whenever you cast a spell that or whatever you would deal damage of a type of your patron, its physical visage appears around you as you do so, causing to proc a fear. Um, that could be a way to think about it. Again, a passive feature, but it could, or even you could do like, when you do it, you can add the fear effect to it by instilling the presence or something. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of here for it. I don't want to make the expanded spell list too complicated though, um, but I, I'm kind of on the same idea though. Backtracking a little bit back to the damage type change. Um, mm. Now, I think this this is either one of those ideas that's going to be great. Not great. That's kind of... It's going to be good or it's going to be absolute shit. So shut it down if needed. But what if we expanded the damage type change from Eldritch Blast to all spells? I think that's a, a 
fair-ish feature. I think it ends up looking kind of wonky in practice, um, especially if people don't 100% buy in, right? Yeah. Um, so, like, casting Fireball, but your patron uh, um, dragon is ice base, and so it's more of, like, an ice storm or ice ball type of deal. See, yeah, that that's an easy reflavor, but some of these other ones, like... Uh, like phantasmal force like you know how the heck are you gonna flavor that one to be like poison like you're gonna have to kind of reach a little bit and it's gonna be really really dependent on like the rp or and everything which might be kind of awkward maybe you do want to try and avoid putting the burden on the player to come up with reasons why it makes sense maybe only evocation spells then you do the damage. But, but there's, there's not, not a whole lot of, lot of combat, combat evocations, evocations though. though. Most of like Misty Step, step and Ultra Self, self you know? know. Sorry. Um, no, you were right about evocation. Brad's wrong. Evocation oh, oh, is so, the explosion. Oh, I'm sorry. Invocation. It, okay. Sorry. I was going to say, I thought, I thought Fireball's an evocation, but I might be wrong. But... I'm dumb, it absolutely I'm is. Okay. All is well. <laughs> D&D is a very large set of rules. Don't worry about getting things all, wrong. All the words are the same. Yep. So, I mean... I think we... I think we've done a lot of thinking about the first level features, and because we're doing a toolbox kit, why don't we try and hop over to six and see what ideas we can come up with for something either defensive, something uh, mobility-based, something maybe fear-based again. What other iconic, draconic things could we put as a six level toolbox feature? I don't want to get too weighed down, because I think we have some uh, good ideas flowing around in the first level that we might be able to come back on once we see what the rest of the subclass is trying to look like. So something we touched upon in the expanded spell list is draconic type features, uh, you know, claws and fangs and stuff. Uh, we kind of remedied that by giving them uh, alter self. Um, what if we kind of gave them an ability that gave them like the features of a dragon? Uh, perhaps we could expand that into multiple things. You know, maybe uh, you know fangs or claws or wings or something temporarily, not like full blown flight, but kind of just like a, you know, like. A number of times equal to your proficiency bonus a day, you know, you can gain flight or something like that for a round or something, you know? Brad, Brad hear me out. What mm -hmm. if at 14th level, we just let them polymorph into young dragons? Like, once for a long rest, you polymorph into a young dragon of the type. Uh, see, I'm a little bit conflicted on that, because the 14th level spell for warlocks, I don't think are that strong. Like... They should be. No. no, never mind. Never mind. They're actually okay. Uh, Fiend can do 10d10 psychic damage, so I guess it's okay. Uh, the uh, Great Old One literally begins abducting people into cults. You permanently mind control people. Really? Yeah. Great Old One, sweet. I might... God, I need hmm. to stop just doing Warlock characters no you don't warlock is the best class in the game and i will fight anyone who disagrees with me including I, brad I, I love it so much like right now i'm uh i'm doing a um a hexblade one but like i really mm. want to do all the other ones because they're all seem so cool they are <sighs> i'm also really into eldritch horror hence the lovecraft Fair. stuff so but i'm going to write down the dragon form as a 14th level ability for now yeah we can do tentative no yeah i but, yeah, like that we can but... do more maybe throw some limitations on it so yes you can polymorph but maybe for only don't bring in what brad said and only for the amount of rounds equal to your proficiency modifier well okay. well, i'm curious if we're just gonna why... do a hardline polymorph spell just stick to the polymorph spell and okay. account for that you know i i was going how i would probably word this feature is i would have a specific stat block and i would say as an action you transform into this stat block and then i would assign it 
variations of breaths and variations of damage types, otherwise being otherwise symmetrical, is how I'd probably do this. Fair enough. Tasha's Cauldron of Everything did something really cool with the like summon fey, summon beast type stat blocks, um, where they kind of made them a little bit more dynamic, and some of those stat blocks' abilities scaled off of your abilities. Uh, so we could, uh, you know, with that kind of template, uh, easily make a customizable type stat block that scales with your proficiency and whatnot, yeah. That's more where I was at. I'm thinking around the power level of a young to adult dragon. Somewhere in that range. That. Yep. yep. Um, back to 6 and 10, though. We have... Our, so we're not flying until 14th. Is that too late to be flying? How early do you think a character that wants to be a dragon should be able to fly? Based off of other classes, it really depends. So if we base level 5th, because that's fly, we know that at 5th level and higher, other classes are flying. Right? Well, well, I'm talking, I'm talking like, like permanent, permanent flight, flight without, without spending a resource, resource as, as part of your, of your class. class. We can assign resources to it. We don't have to necessarily let it be indefinite. Mm -hmm. Can we can just, just, just a second, second. Let me look, look this, this up, up real quick? Fair. Tony, what were you going to say? Uh, I forget. <laughs> um, for fly... Hey, Tasha, stop. Okay. okay. So fly speed from the Draconic Sorcerer is a 14th level ability as well. We basically just kind of copy-pasted it from the Sorcerer. Sure. And I would be frustrated because I would have been flying since 5th level as that character. But you're a Warlock and you only have so many spell slots, which permanent flight, you no longer have to worry about that spell slot, you know? I mean... So I, I, th I think it's different. We also know that the Wizards and most tables seem to be perfectly fine with it at first level just being a feature sub versus have. Well... I don't necessarily agree with everything Wizards does. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. I'm just saying, like, you can't necessarily always go off of sure. off of what is written. I agree that it is a powerful thing. It is a useful tool specifically out of combat, but also in combat. Mm -hmm. I don't think it would be out of place to assign it a fly speed at 6th level. Granted, I don't think that's very interesting, so I would probably instead have it be attached to a resource and give them something else. Um, what, what if we compromised a little bit and made it the 10th level ability? Uh, so you do get it a little bit later, and if that's all you get... So the 10th level Warlock ability is kind of not amazing across the board. Um, what if we just gave it to them at 10th level? It's still a little bit later, it's still a little bit earlier, and it kind of accounts for that like kind of boring type ability. I detest the idea of just having a boring ability because it's a boring ability. But we can circle back to it. Okay, yeah. That doesn't mean they're well designed. That in fact means they're boring. Why do I have to go, oh my god, I get my cool feature at level 14 and nothing at 10? Ugh. Who hiss? Who hiss? I was gonna bring up druids again, but I'm not gonna go there right now. Druids also get ninth level spells and True. Like, like, Druids don't get any good ability past level three. That's fair. Um, and if we compare them to other existing classes, because spell, like, it needs to be, I think, a, a something people often don't consider is spells or features. So whenever oh, yeah. you, whenever a wizard reaches ninth level and gets fourth level, fifth level spells, fifth level spells, um, that is a huge fourth level. Oh fuck, which it's fifth level spells. It's fifth level spells. That's a huge power bank they just get. They get a whole suite of new things they get to pick from to do awesome, amazing stuff. Yep, we yep. can let other classes, especially classes that have less resources than the full casters, get powerful things that can compete with spells of that level, right? I think that's something that 
I think like classes like fighter and barbarian have it the worst, but we should definitely be, I think more people should be all right with make things powerful and fun more so than make them fair and balanced. Fair and balanced, we can always bring things back down. It's a lot harder to make things a lot cooler. <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit more about what dragons are. Um, so outside of their, you know, basic stuff, you know, flying and treasure and whatnot, uh, a lot of dragons have, like, lair actions, because dragon lairs are a big thing. Um, and they also have kind of, I guess, like, what do they call them, like, regional effects, where they can kind of affect the terrain in, like, a large scale around them, uh, just by their presence, you know? So, from, like, a toolbox perspective, is there anything that we could do to make the player be able to do stuff like that? Um, specifically around a lair. Like, I know we have, like, Leoman's Tiny Hut as a spell, um, and that's cool, but that's not really a lair. You know, that's just, like, a temporary fortification. Sure. We could, so, what we could do, I think this is kind of more of a level 14 feature. I think we could uh, let them assign a location as their lair, and mm -hmm. this would be a quite the robust feature, but I would, but I would personally write it as that I think would be the coolest, is you get a specific layer effects so that occur to your enemies um, within the area. So for example, like, consider it kind of like the um, the Haro spell where you make an area immune to, or uh, consecrated and do other really cool things. It would be that, but for specifically dragons. For yes. a frost dragon, perpetual ice storm. For a fire dragon, volcanic ruptures. All of those kinds of cool things could be that. Oh yeah. As a proposal. And, and you could do lots of different shit, like, flavorfully and just kind of, like, light mechanically. Um, like, like whenever a hostile creature enters within one mile of your lair, you kind of get, like, notified. Uh, or you kind of have, you know, various different, you know, like, like secure storage things that you could put shit in. Um, you know, you can always safely take a long rest there. Um, what, what, what else could there be? These features uh, are notably very polarizing. Because there will be some games where they literally cannot be used. So what I would probably make the proposal of is it takes an hour-long ritual to get the effect. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And then another thing, you know, to make sure it can be used pretty much always, um, specifically in games where you're moving around a lot, um, perhaps you have maybe like a safe way of returning to your lair and back without... What if it was like a demiplane rather than like a physical place? That kind of could like, be cool. Kind of like how um, uh, the what? What's that one spell that creates a ma uh, mansion on another plane? Uh, more cannons than gets a mansion. I think that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, kind of like that. Yeah, it's like that, but a dragon's lair, and you could add some extra stuff to it. So what I would say is, what we could do is we could have the base level feature, the first level feature, be access to your ancient's domain. Where, as a bonus action, much like the genie, you hop into an extra-dimensional space. That extra-dimensional mm -hmm. space can do a certain number of things. You could even have it be like, maybe you can't even go in there yet, but you can send things to and from it. So it's like a, an, a sort of, of extra-dimensional bag of holding, right? Kind of like and then as you gain levels chest. in the class, this would become more of a build-around, but that feature could improve to encompass more things to become more like a portable hold. Become more like jumping in and out of your dragon's terrain. I do think it gets a little bit less draconic, but I do think that is a thing we could consider. So, little side tangent real quick. Uh, you mentioned that that could become like a build-around ability. Is it the worst thing in the world to have a build-around ability that isn't combat-based? No, absolutely not. Does anything else do that? 
Um, so I think Great Old One is the closest in that it is all about mental manipulation. So it has mm-hmm. a suite of spells that are all about Dissonant Whisper, or not necessarily Dissonant Whisper, but like the uh, Phantasmal Force, Illusion Magic, um, communicating with things telepathically, that all builds around the idea of being the mental controller, being, it's what create thrall, right? Like these aren't mm-hmm. intensively combat features that do it. Um, outside of the class, I think um, the, uh, the transmuter does it fairly well in that your, your whole shtick is out of combat, making matter what you need it to be in any given situation. And all mm-hmm. of your features sort of coalesce in you doing that one thing really well. Um, I think those are some more build around me kinds of features. Like you want, as a transmuter, you want to take spells that supplement your features to do the transmutation thing, right? Yeah. I would consider those examples. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I kind of like, like the build around dragon layer type, type thing. Um, um, however, I'm not necessarily sure that fits in with the theme, theme that, that we wanted to go for. Perhaps that could be a different quest. quest. We are well. So I actually, in my notes, I I had the idea of brainstorming a because I I had a hunch this would happen. Um, I had a let's brainstorm what a build around looks like and let's brainstorm what a what a toolbox looks like because a lot mm-hmm. of people, I think, myself included, love the idea of a toolbox class being to do everything while you start to go down feature lines and you find that a single feature that improves over time or a feature that plays around a specific play pattern that improves over time tends to be a lot really, really fun in the moment. Hexblade, I think. Like, Tony, you're saying you're playing a Hexblade right now, right? Yes. Do you really like that option? Uh, yes. I haven't been able to play to its full extent because I was multi-classing with Sorcerer, but I've mm-hmm. since talked to the DM and decided since I haven't been using any of the Sorcerer feats or anything really from the Sorcerer dip that i've done that we're gonna just go full warlock at this point sure but and the hack blade is like the the most typical build around me ever right it's mm-hmm. you are the combat warlock you take yeah. your blade it is literally your patron and you stab it into their heart i i am entirely open to either of these directions and we don't necessarily have to just just throw out a lot of the other ideas whenever we pivot to things like this right if we want we could definitely keep have have the first level feature just be horde sense and the extra dimensional space that the the domain territory right and then we can expand on ancient's domain over time and slowly give it other little features here and there that'll make you still feel like a dragon but also embody the you are a, more of a disciple of the ancient dragon as opposed to the ancient dragon itself maybe That's we a, can have it I think I'd make too. maybe we can have it so that over time that extra dimensional space that you like use actually becomes a layer within the physical world that you can that you have access to that seems fine. That, that that seems super cool to me. Unbelievably obnoxious to word, notably, but it, it, it sounds like a really cool feature. Writing that um, out sounds like it's going to be a bad time for me. <laughs> um, but just like, that's something I can see as like as the warlock level is that ability level. So like you said, at first level, you can send items to and from like Lehman's secret chest, um, and only limited amount of items in size. Next level. Um, uh, you can send either next character level or next like significant level. You can either now send more items or you can also send yourself to and from. The next level you can send you and your compatriots to and from. And then after that is whenever it becomes an actual physical layer sometime, somewhere within the world that you can still do all the above. Yeah. So there are largely two big um, already existing... What's the word I'm looking for? Precedence for that mechanical design. 
Um, you can either do it, A, in feature, like oh, how a lot of spells will alter what they do as you level them up um, by like dropping concentration or increasing duration. Um, you could have the first level feature read, it's a bag of holding, then it's a portable hole, then it's a rope trick, and then it's a, um, I don't know, something else. Alternatively, you could have it so that specific features as you go down the levels don't necessarily interface exactly with the first feature, but do things related to it. So as opposed to saying you can uh, you can shunt golden wealth into the portal or into the your ancient's domain, you might then have the sixth level feature say you can duck briefly into the ancient's domain and come out a different location on the current plane you're currently on, giving you sort of like a blink. Right? Um, you might be able to do. Um, a lot of mechanical things that fit the fantasy of going to this ancient's realm and back. Um, you could do the, the for uh, as a reaction, you grab your party and you blink out of existence, going to their plane for a brief moment of hiatus and then going back to the material, right? There are there are a couple different ways you could present it. Yeah, I'm, in my opinion, it'd be, I feel like it would be easier and less cluttled, clut, God, I can't talk, cluttered, if we do it all within the same feature and then just spell it out that at this level you get this, at this level you get this, at this level you get this. Because otherwise I feel like it's just taking up a lot of space because it doesn't – because without doing that, yes, that still takes the same amount of space, but that's associated with one specific feature. Whereas if you spread it across like you were saying, it now becomes its own each individual separate kind of features so it's no longer tied to one single thing, and I feel like it'd be better if it was. Thoughts? I was actually thinking the opposite. I was thinking it might be easier to split it out between like every single level. So at level three, you know, you could have like a bag of holding. At level six, you end up getting like you're able to like manifest that place either as like a demi plane that you could visit as a rope trick or as a real place in the world. You know, at level ten, you might get something else that improves it. Um, but I guess that kind of cuts off the potential for any sort of other ability, um, which would then lose a lot of like that initial flavor that we had in mind. And I was thinking at level, I was thinking at level one, um, it just be used for, uh, like a bag of holding, except only for things of high value. Like you, so you can't just throw a torch in there. It can only be things of value. So magical items or (laughs) wealth. Or do you think it should just be? I don't think bags of I don't think bags of holding are all that powerful or anything. Okay, so just yeah, that, that, an that, that to me is more of like a flavor feature, right? Yeah, that is you store your wealth in the dragon's hoard. Yeah. Okay. No. If I if I if if I want to be you know Mumfler Fumperdink and I want to be the chair bandit and store every chair that I find in my bag of holding, you know why can't I? Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> You should be able um, to, and you should be crowned a hero for that. Yeah, yeah the, the, the chair, chair bandit. bandit. Yeah. I'm not making this shit up. This is something that an actual player did in one of my games. Just for the record. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, did, you didn't have to clarify. That was, that was implied. <laughs> it was too specific <laughs> to be made up on the spot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the um, name was, like, on the edge of being, uh, is that made up or not? But, um... But no, yeah, so level one, having it basically an interdimensional uh, bag of holding, then level three, then level six, then level 14. Am I getting those levels right? Uh, it's it's your, it's one, one, six, ten, fourteen, but you're one, six, ten, fourteen. I, we get sorry. what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. Anyway, um, right, but I the, do. For the sake of progress, here's what yeah. I'm going to pitch. I think we can take 
the idea of Ancient's Domain. And while I think that there's a cool subclass conceivably in that, I do think to explore all of that, it's going to take a tremendous amount of time and revision. I would recommend we let that we attach that to the first level feature as a ribbon to have a bag of holding that only will take in gold and treasure of the pieces. Um, and we otherwise continue down with the more draconic feeling warlock. Because I do yep. think this podcast is going to run very long if we try to do that option. But anyway, um, no, yeah, I, I, I feel comfortable, like you said, tacking it on as just valuables, level one, and then we can revisit it if we wish to do a version uh i guess this is actually version two so if we do a version 2.5 we can revisit then or 2.1 um but yeah uh so yeah so level one i'm gonna call it bag holding storage hoarder storage i i I like ancient stone or ancient storage not ancient storage ancient's hoard that works for me um, because I like the the ancients uh dimension or ancient slayer that we were calling it initially, and I wanted to kind of keep that same thematic. But anyway, um, so yeah, let's for like you said, the sake of moving on, let's uh move on. So, quick review for what we got for all of our our active listeners. Uh, our first level, we're currently looking at some idea, some feature called Horde Sense. You can discern the value, or you can discern objects of a specific value within range of you. Um, I think that attached to Ancient Sword is probably a, a decent pairing of abilities for a high-utility warlock that's all about money. Totally agree. And I think if we tack on the the tag for Eldritch Blasts, um, that'll probably be good enough as long as we get the spell list as an abysmal. Like, that's not... I, I don't think that's super powerful, but as far as a good starting point, we can probably let those two do that. Let those two to be their thing. Maybe maybe we just like attach a somewhat detect magic to horde sense, so you can have a lot more utility with it. So you can really like you can tell you can when you use the action, you can determine the schools of magic of valuable items near you. Um, that seems like a decent first level utility feature attached to being able to store said stolen objects off the plane where other people can't touch them. Um, moving on to our sixth level feature, um, we have sort of a hodgepodge of ideas. Um, namely that involving some form of fear effect, some form of flight effect, and conceivably turning into a dragon. Are any of these ones you want to really buckle down on on 6th level? I think this would be a potentially very good place for fear, personally. I agree. I I think uh, the fear could fit here. Ooh, ooh, I have a dumb idea. Hear me out. We dip a tiny bit back into the Ancient's Domain, and instead of having it be a fear, we blind them with the sheer reflection of wealth that we display. <laughs> I like that. I, I think it's funny, but I don't think it fits the flavor very much. I'm, I'm kind of going for like a serious type flavor, you know? Yes. I, I, I do just, like that as a... As it's a funny as fuck, Yeah. <laughs> I love the like Scrooge McDuck's vault just blinds you. Um... No, the fear the fear thing I definitely want it to be a mechanic that can be used both in and outside of combat, not just within the like like you were saying like uh Brad was mentioning before, on a hit you induce fear. I'd would rather it be like I said, usable in both aspects because I feel like the more things we give them that they can do outside of combat, the more the players will role play with it. And this may just be because I'm coming from a stance where 
my players aren't role playing as much as they can be is the reason why I'm saying it. But I do think having the more role playability, if that's a word, in the class itself, I think the better it'll be. Okay, so if we wanted to make it like role playing, the the AOE fear is way better RP wise than like an on hit fear. I do think it's going to. It should be noted though. It is important that it does give them powerful things to do in combat. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because... The, to do both, but I definitely wanted yes. to have implications outside of combat as well. Okay. Okay. So the archfey fear uh, is like a cube in front of you, um, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense for a dragon. I actually think the dragon's a little bit more focused on like an aura around him or something. Like he lets out a roar, all creatures you know within thirty feet of him you know make like a save or get feared or something. You know, like everybody who can hear him. Well, with what dragons, more of a spectacle. Dragons, it's being... within sight. I thought. It's anything within... Yeah, that's for their very yeah. being, right? That's for their yeah. presence. That's, that's for seeing, seeing them, but, but, but they, they can, can see you, and it's not a problem, but it's whenever they hear you that they get scared, you know? Yeah. What I'm thinking of, I think we can make this feature powerful because this combat, this class doesn't have any, really, any combat power yet at all. Um, what if we attached... Uh, I'm calling. I'm thinking like trembling fear. Like you, you stamp into the ground and release a torrent of your breath weapon alongside. Um, that's so powerful and fearsome in appearance. It literally shakes the ground around you. So it both is a fear and an AOE prone. I'm here, I'm here for, for it. it. Yeah. yeah. I love that actually. Love the shit out of that. Okay. It's also another unique way to still maintain breath weapon without using it as a breath weapon. Okay. okay. Um. um... How would, How would that, that actually work, work mechanically? Um, because, because now there's, like, two status effects that come from, like, one action. action. Um, yeah, so what I would probably do um, is have every creature within the area automatically is slowed, and then mm. they make a saving throw for each. So they make a charisma and a dexterity saving throw. Hmm. Okay, so I complain about this in other episodes. I really don't like adding in excess dice rolling where it doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, we could you stick said... them both to charisma. Okay, maybe. So maybe that might be where we go. Um, I was thinking you mentioned that they're automatically slowed and then they do saves. What happens if it was like a uh, if if they do they they do one save? Um, if they succeed, one thing happens. If they fail, one worse thing happens. Like if you fail, oh okay, you just get knocked prone. Or, sorry, if you succeed, okay, you just get knocked prone. If you fail, you get feared, you know? So Is that, like, this the thing that happens? happens? So, I mean, yeah, yes, yes. I mean, absolutely that is a thing that occurs, uh, specifically in spells. But I would, be, I would be thinking the prone effect is very powerful in specific cases, and the fear effect is powerful in other cases. Um, mm -hmm. Both yeah. can be fine, especially if it's, like, a once 15-foot area powerful thing to do. Um, that'll, like, that'll shift an encounter. Um, which a once per long rest feature should do. So I would be fine with you release, like, you you physically release so much power that the ground around you shakes, everyone falls prone, and then it procs a fear off a charisma save. I'd be fine with that. Alternately, it might not prone at all, maybe it just slows. Maybe everyone's speed is reduced by 20 until the start of the next turn. That's hard to keep track of, and D&D &D 5e doesn't really like to do a whole lot of that. The, uh, okay, so what if what if you just kind of like stomp into the ground and it creates like cracks in the ground that kick up rocks and dirt that make it difficult terrain? Um, I don't necessarily feel that being as dragony. Yeah, that's, I mean that's fine. Like, hmm. Hmm. 
I like the idea of doing something spectacly, something uh, creating a spectacle with the with the breath weapon. I think using the breath weapon in a way that isn't damaging is interesting, mm-hmm. and I want to explore that a little bit more. I think I'm too attached to the fear. I don't think I'm too attached to the prone. I'm wondering what else could we do with that necessarily. Yeah, I really like the fear, not sold on the prone. Um, let's look up some status effects. I'm gonna call it breath spectacle for now. We could also very. Okay, okay. What, what, what if you roar really, 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 really loud and it deafens people? Sure, I'm down with that. As a part of a mighty roar. Creatures within 15 feet of you are deafened. Yeah, like like everybody gets deafened, and then if you fail the save, you get feared. Creatures that um, then choose any number of creatures that can see you. Those creatures make charisma saving throw coming frightened yeah you so i think it makes sense that your party members would not get feared because they're they kind of know it's coming they might have seen it before not a big deal um but i feel like it might make sense for them to get deafened though because there's not a whole lot that they can do to prevent that unless they unless what is it with like uh what's the one spell that if you warn your uh, party beforehand to plug their ears it doesn't affect them isn't it i don't know if the spell i know of sirens yeah i'm not sure that's an actual mechanic i think that's something dms do so their players feel less bad about hitting their own guys yeah thunderclap that's what i was thinking but i guess that is thunder, i don't think that's an actual thunder wave move. okay okay i thought it was um so i stopped talking because a car decided to just blow past my house very loudly you love to see it you love it in fact you hate to see it but um if I were if I were to do the subclass, I absolutely would assign the spectacle to do different things for different breaths. Um, but that seems like, like I would have fire be the fear one, and I would have like mm-hmm. ice be a uh, some form of charm slash dazzle, and the poison be some form of nausea and sickening. I think those could be yeah. cool routes to explore. Let's just keep it simple for now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have a utility feature at six that is will be both good in and out of combat as far as a commanding presence sort of taking command of a situation or creating a useful status effect in a large encounter um for now i think we should i think sticking with dragon form as our as our top feature will really let the class because we don't really have any other things that's like pointing to combat so you becoming a dragon seems like it's going to have a decent enough time as far as you're not losing out on the other build potentials necessarily because you are you are automatically going to have something to do and be good in combat once per long rest, right? Yeah, I mean, it's cool as fuck. There's no way of getting around that, so it's definitely like that big capstone, you know? Mm-hmm. So that just leaves us with our 10th level feature. I think it would be fine to attach a flight speed to a ribbon here, a ribbon mm-hmm. that lets you do something. I don't know exactly what that would be. Yeah, Yeah, I'm good with that. Um, so any other aspects of dragons we haven't really talked about a whole lot? I I think it'd be really neat to assign a thing you could do, again, based off of your scale color. So I think, like, um, almost like a prestidigitation based off of your scales would be neat here. Um, Hmm. we could also, oh, that would be a lot of work, but I would love to get a little pet wormling familiar. Like an itty bitty baby dragon. That's that's definitely a a variant that we would throw onto this, but uh... kind of conflicts with uh, what do you call it? Pack to the chain. So I'd be a little bit hesitant with it. 
Oh, so what, how I would propose it is I would have Pact of the Chain have a variant that instead of a uh, Pact of the Chain familiar, you could take a baby, like an itty bitty tiny wormling. Got it. Okay. That would be my proposal. Yeah. Yeah. But then you'd have to do something for all the other packs too. Yeah. I mean, we already have one for eligible class. I don't, I don't mind doing that. I, for the sake of the subclass design though, we don't need to worry about that. Because we're really building out a whole option, a whole suite of things to go together. Like the Breath of the Ancients invocation that lets you do cones and uh, striking lines and stuff, which is pretty sweet. I think this could be a place that we could conceivably add in like talons. We could just attach the breath weapon here as well and have it be probably fine. Not super exciting, but it would go amiss if you didn't have a cool big breath weapon. Wait, do we not have a breath weapon yet? We have Breath Spectacle, which is the fear, but we don't have actual using a Breath Weapon. Yeah, I think Breath Weapon fits fine then. Alright. Because you should not have one, one, you know. Agreed. I think if you're playing a Dragon subclass and you can't weaponize your Breath, I would be upset. Yep. Eventually. And we can let this be probably more, slightly more overtuned than the spell equivalent. So a 5th level spell is going to be doing slightly more damage than a 5th level spell. Um, and scaling up as well so that it will always feel good to use. And then it'll be the cone or the, uh, the cone or the, and we can probably increase the range on the, it too, from what's proposed in here. Five by 30 is very low and 15 foot cone is tiny. Uh, would it be the worst thing ever to word it in a way that's like, you know, like once per short rest, you're allowed to cast the dragon's breath spell at a fifth level or something, or, you know, at like, you're, you're able to cast it at your warlock spell slot level without expending a spell slot, just so we don't have to like reword the dragon's breath spell. So what I'm thinking is, um, as far as like the finished option goes that we can share to everybody, I'll I'll do all the official write up post if you'd like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily worry about that. I don't mind writing out how to how to do it. Um, yeah. That's fine because like the dragon's breath spell is like a concentration one minute thing. This might just be a one off thing. Oh, that could be a cool way to do it though. I actually like that a lot more. So, breath weapon... Wait, the concentration, concentration thing? thing? Yeah, allowing them to breathe over a duration seems like a fun time. Or yeah, even that, giving that, them a number of rest for short rest. Yeah. Well, it'll be at least... Slight, um, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't read the Dragon's Breath spell in a long time. Oh, okay. I shall investigate, but we do agree that some form of breath weapon, whether it be a one-off enormous blast or several smaller breaths, would be good here, yeah? Uh, yeah, I think both are appropriate. Awesome. So, where we started the podcast... We had uh, an option that gave you AC and an aesthetic change at level one and nothing else. Um, a decent breath weapon at six. Um, and then a fly speed in blind sight. Where we ended um, was a treasure sensing, uh, horde stowing dragon disciple that breathes fiery spectacles to inspire or to fear away enemies, weaponizes their breath just as much as before, and it finally assumes the form of a dragon at the capstone to literally breathe and do everything the ancient can uh, compel you to do. I think that's, in my personal opinion, slightly a bit of an upgrade. A little bit. Yeah, so from my perspective, we took the entire previous subclass, put it at the capstone level, and then created three new abilities. Well, I thought this, I thought this was a fun exercise in exploring some basic ideas of how you want to homebrew, um, and sort of going through all of uh, all of a subclass and kind of picking out little areas that we can improve upon. Obviously, we want to iterate on this 
over and over and over again as we as we read it as we get other people to read it and stuff but Absolutely. this is like a great starting point so i'm a little bit curious then do we think that this is a like a toolkit subclass or do you think this is like a like build around subclass Oh, I think absolutely it's a toolbox subclass right now. Toolbox, okay, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, it's got a, it's got a big AOE fear, which is very like iconically toolboxy. Is whenever you have a one-off thing that's an area of effect that statusly affects mm-hmm. things, because that's a, a sort of a way to shift an encounter that isn't necessary. That's always going to be good regardless of what you're doing. Um, okay. The spell list is going to be a big determining factor of that, but spell lists are really hard to do live because they require lots of research and small amounts of reading. So. It, that will be a determining factor. But like with Breath Weapon being a one-off, there's nothing really you're building around the Breath Weapon. With Flight, it's a useful tool in a whole suite of areas. It's not, again, doesn't really point to any one thing you want to do. And then Dragon Form is you do the Dragon thing once in one encounter per long rest. So there's nothing here that's really, everything is pointing to one particular play pattern. Everything seems to be uh, allowing you to do lots of different things. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm totally here for that. But I think was the goal, right? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. The last little thing about the expanded spell list. I actually think the expanded spell list for this particular thing, I, I, I uh, gosh, I care a little bit more about, like, the flavor of it rather than, like, the specific, you know, mechanics and balance and stuff. And I think that the spell list we have is pretty cool with some, like, minor tweaks, you know? It's like, you know, like, the secret chest... Well, okay, we could, we could honestly get rid of, like, the secret chest at this point, because you kind of have that, you know, third-level or first-level ability. Um, but Polymorph like, also first... is slightly troubling. Yeah. yeah, but that's kind of replaced by the last, the uh, 14th ability, so... But stuff like, you know, like, Glyph of Warding, Gust of Wind, Control Winds, Earth Tremor, Alter Self, Absorb Elements, love that stuff, you know? I think that fits, like, right on. Oh, 100%. Alter Self is, um, you can, if you want to play the I am a dragon with claws and biting and clawing of things, Alter Self is required for that. That's super sweet. Gust of Wind, unbelievably flavorful ability here. It's it's particularly great. I don't necessarily love the third level stuff, but uh, I haven't read Gaius in Lord No. Oh, Gaius isn't a third level spell. Gaius is a fifth level. <laughs> it's a fifth level. It's super freaked up. But uh, like the, the, the thematics that we were going for is that like, uh, specifically in our world, dragons are, you know, personable and charming and, you know, good at manipulation and whatnot so a little bit of charm spells might be appropriate but sure that sounds yeah sounds very fair uh well brad well tony you think we did good you like where this is finishing up yeah i I definitely feel like it does it will need revisited again once we do a little bit of play testing and maybe get some other eyes on it but Mm -hmm. i definitely like the direction it's going but i can definitely see us revisiting this again in the future at some point yeah yeah, specifically that first ability, I feel like that's going to need a little bit of tweaking to make it useful in, you know, you certain know, situations. The the oh. ancient sword, or yeah, whatever yeah. we call it. Ancient sword and the horde sense both are very utility based features. Um, horde sense is my favorite. Love that. What is? It? Horde sense. I think that's a hilariously awesome, awesome ability, ability, and I would, and I would use, use that twenty four seven. Yeah. I think I think it's neat. I think it probably has more value than people realize. I think you would be surprised to be like, I'm going to use Horde Sense as we enter into this room to see what who's got the most money on them, looking for 50 gold and up. Uh, and then you find the stranger in the corner that's been eyeing you up mysteriously has an item on their person worth several thousand gold, and everyone kind of goes, uh oh. Yeah. Or I mean, even identifying like magic items. Uh, we talked in the recent podcast episode where one of the NPCs has like a family heirloom that's. Um, it's like a rug that they have in like the main hall. Uh, and it's, you know, like 
a really special uh, rug. It has like runes inscribed on it that, you know, tell some secrets and whatnot. Um, if you were to like randomly cast this in that room looking for something else, and then the DM points out, oh yeah, the rug's really special too. You're like, what? And I, I feel like, like if the, if the subclass could lead to situations like that, that would be a massive win in my perspective, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's what a feature should try. And, that's what good feature design tries to do, right? Is it tries to allow for awesome moments to happen. And it can. It's still not the most exciting thing in the world, I don't think. I think there's still going to be tables that would struggle to make it interesting. So I would, I I would probably also want to iterate on the first a little while. But um, I think it's a great starting point. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to see where it goes. Thanks so much, Sam, for coming and joining us, helping us out with this Dragon Warlock subclass. Uh, it's definitely come a long way, uh, and I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. Anyways, thanks for checking out this episode of the Dudes and Drinks podcast. Make sure to check us out on Twitter, Discord, Spotify, other major podcasting platforms. Uh, share us with your friends. Share us with your players. Uh, we're having a great time, and we're hoping you are too. If you ever want to talk to us, feel free to reach out. You know, we we love talking about this stuff. Oh, Anyways. and uh, Brett, I would uh, I would we're gonna have the subclass up, right? Yeah, we'll post it. Twitter, Discord, check it out. Our Probably Twitter is. The wiki too, but our Twitter is at Dudes and Drinks, and then you can find the Discord there, and you can also, I believe, find the wiki there. Yep, yep. If you can't, Brad, post it. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah, it's it's posted there a couple places. Just check it out.